Well, good morning. Welcome to the open door. We're excited about what God is doing uh, today and, and how he's just reminding us of this, this season that we're in, that we have an opportunity to remember Christ and what he's done, his finished work. I'm so thankful that you had an opportunity to give today, but also that you have an opportunity to receive from Christ and Christ alone through God's perfect word. And so uh, today, as we think about uh, this being the first day of what we call the Advent time, and Advent simply means the coming of Christ. And so all around our, our world and, and in our community, uh, we're taking this time to remember the coming of Christ. And we're going to be doing that throughout the next several weeks, just as we had an opportunity last week to celebrate Thanksgiving and be thankful for all that God has done. Uh, did you have a chance to spend time with family and just be thankful? And, uh, and didn't that feel, just fill your heart with joy and give you peace and just remembering of all the goodness of God and how thankful we are and how, how blessed we are, amen? So we also get to continue that as we think about our theme over the next couple of weeks being Christmas in my heart. And I want to emphasize the word Christ and then at MAS, Christ being magnified. Christ being lifted up, Christ being set apart in our hearts, that we would, you know, in him, as the Bible says, in him we move and breathe and have our being. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that is over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to walk through uh, those key areas of what Christ did for us, or what God did by sending his only begotten son in that idea of Advent, Christ is coming. Because when Christ came, Something came with him. Hope came. Peace came. Love and joy. And so as you see to my left and your right, we have a reef that represents Christ going to the, to the cross. And remember those thorns that they put on his head and they called, it, uh, they called him the king of the Jews? Well, it's important for us to be reminded that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And it's not just the Jews, but it's all that call upon the name of Jesus Christ, that he's king. And so those four candles represent those, those very point, that he brought hope, that he brought peace, that he brought love, and that he brought joy. And so because of Christ, we can have that today. We can live in hope, and we can live in peace, love, and joy. And so today we're going to be talking about that first one, hope. And so I'm so thankful for uh, having this wonderful family. They're, they're keepers. Uh, they make me look good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just thankful they, they, they keep me around. Amen. So as you see, Christ brought us hope. Hope not in ourselves, but in his eternal goodness, his grace and his mercy. And I'm going to try to preach this message for you today, but now it might be a little bit emotional. See, the sermon of our message today is called The God of Hope. As we spent time last week, we talked about being thankful and we saw that there was this family, this, these children of Korah that had to carry the burden of their father's sins. And they felt dismayed and they felt broken and they felt cast down. In Psalms 42, 5 was our scripture reference last week. It says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Why is there this raging going on? Why does it feel like this torment? And he stirred himself up by saying, hope thou in God. Not in ourselves, not in earthly treasures, not in the things of this world, but we put our hope in God. And we change our mind, we change our thought process, and we praise him, we thank him, so that we know that he is for us and not against us. 
And so I want to share a couple of things with you today that will remind us of that very point, that God is forced, not against us, that he is the God of hope. And so our scripture reference today is Romans 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and it reads, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we ask, to you to, we ask you to speak to our hearts, to prick us, Father, that we may understand and know your perfect will. Father, transform us. Help us to be like Christ, to be steadfast and move always abounding in your work, to trust you in all things and lean not to our own understanding, for you are truly the God of hope. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. So as I think about how this verse begins, I'm reminded that Charles Spurgeon said, without Christ, there is no hope. Just think about that. If Christ would not have came, if Christ would not have died on the cross for my sins and your sins, Charles Spurgeon said, without Christ, there is no hope. Or better yet, we could say it this way, no Christ, K-N-O-W, no hope. No Christ, N-O, no hope. No Christ. No hope, no Christ, no hope. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells us that all people have sinned and therefore are separated from God. And that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul summed it up, our desperate situation in Ephesians 2.12, saying that we are aliens and strangers without hope and without God in the world. That we didn't even have a relationship with him. It's like we were alien from the commonwealth of Israel. Not a part of the family. No citizenship. We were without hope and without God in the world. Yet, throughout the biblical narrative, God also weaves the promise and appearance of the Savior. We see it in the Old Testament time and time again where he makes mention of the Messiah, the coming Savior. Jesus came to bring us hope and fulfill all the messianic prophecies. We see that in Romans 15 verse 12, just the scripture above, the one that's our scripture reference for today. It says, and again Isaiah said, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. See, when we think about that root of Jesse, Jesse was the father of King David. King David had been called to be the king of Israel. And God gave a promise, a word unto David, that from his lineage and his priesthood and his kingship should come the Savior. That he would be king of kings and he would be lord of lords. He would be king of the Jews and the Gentiles. And so that was a prophetic promise that was made before Jesus ever was born on this earth. See, what God was doing is he was giving people hope. See, in their despair, without Christ in the world, there was no hope, and they were wondering, what's it all about? What's going on? Just like we may have at times. And so he gave them a promise, and he wrote it in the scripture, and he wrote it in his holy word that he's coming, he's sending. He's made a promise to us, and he'll never go back on his promises. And so we look at the definition of hope, and if we look at the Webb's definition, it says a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust. We get excited. Maybe there's a kid in here. Maybe there's a, we're kids at heart. You ever had that time around Christmas that when, when the mere mention of Christmas just got you excited? 
Anybody ever been there? And how about you? I grew up where my mom would always put presents in the same place. And she would wrap them up and she'd put them all in and they'd go in this closet. And I got so excited. And I had to work and I would work through my master plan of how I could find out what was in those boxes. Not telling anybody to do that. But there was this excitement about Christmas. And I maybe didn't fully understand at that time what it was all about. But see, we should be even more excited about Christ being magnified in us. The coming of Christ. The advent that God thought and not robbery to send his only begotten son. That none of us should perish, but that all of us should come into newness of life. But see, there's also, when we think about hope, there's this biblical terminology that we need to just grab hold to. See, it says biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in his faithfulness. What God has promised, and he's faithful to the end to bring it about. So we can get excited about what God's promised. And we get excited about who God is, that he's not a man that he should lie, that he's going to keep his promises, and that it should bring great joy and peace and hope. See, this is not an ordinary wishful thinking. Hope for the future falls in several different categories. So, excuse me, hope falls in several different categories. The first one is hope for the future, that we will be redeemed from this world. Do you know that? There was a time in my life that I, was, that I used to ask the question, what is it all about? When I take my last breath, am I just going to go into darkness? And it used to perplex me, and it used to, I used to have this great sorrow that would come upon me that I didn't have hope of after this life. And then I read a scripture that says, if our hope is in this life only, we are all most miserable. And I started reading in the scriptures where it talked about the plan and the purposes that God has for us. See, Adam read that scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. That was when they were in bondage. Thoughts of peace and not evil. To give you, and what that word expected in means, to give you a hope. And a future. And God was thinking about us. See, that hope also is hope for present. That we are not alone, but are loved and have purpose. See, right here on this earth, with all the things that go on, we are not alone. And that we have a purpose and a plan by God. That he wants to use each and every one of us for the uplift of his kingdom. What that simply means is that we don't go alone. That somebody enters the kingdom with us. Because there's joy in the number. You ever went to a party and there was like only three people there? And everybody was kind of the three just looking at each other? But when you go to a party that's got a whole lot of folks there and they all joyful and they all have peace and they all have hope that LSU is going to beat Texas A&M. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. That just came out. There is something that happens in that kind of party. People get excited. Before you know it, they chest bumping. Don't do it too much now. Before you know it, they're high-fiving, and everybody wants to be a part of that party. See, God wants to remind us that. Hope for the present. If we're walking around like sad sex, nobody's going to want to be a part of that. But if we have joy, unspeakable joy, if we're excited about our relationship with Christ, if we have hope for the future, I don't know about you, it may look dark, but I know that there's light coming in the morning, amen? People want to be a part of that. See, there's hope also even over the past. Because sometimes our past can drag us down. 
we get so discouraged about things we can't change. We look at our past and we think that that dictates our future. And so God wants to remind us that our failures are not greater than God's power to transform us. See, we are living testimonies of God's power and his goodness and his grace and his ability to transform anybody. His ability to bring something that was dead alive. His ability to open a door that was shut. Not only shut, it was nailed, it was coffined up, and it was no hope of getting into it. But by his sweet, sweet spirit, he spoke to our hearts. He pried the nails off that door, and we let him in. And our past no longer had any hold on us. All of our sins were thrown in the lake of forgetfulness to be remembered no more by a holy and a good God. So when we as believers speak of, speak of hope, we don't mean a desire that may or may not be fulfilled, like having a nice toy. No, our hope is certain. Our hope is for forgiveness, for reconciliation with God, and eternal life rests on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that word, finish? See, he said it. Before he took his last breath, he said, it is finished. We can nail that on our door and say, I have hope in Christ because he said it was finished. And I can trust in his unchanging hand. See, Jesus, the sinless son of God, died to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead so that we too might have eternal life, newness of life, hope. Peace, love, and joy that the world don't understand, that they look at us like we're crazy, that they try to persecute us. But God reminds us through the voice of Paul, these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed in us. See, Paul describes Jesus as our hope in 1 Timothy 1.1. And the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the blessed hope. We can just hold on to them. They are hope. Because of this hope, Paul t talks about this in Romans 15, verse 13. I just want to break this scripture down for us. So that maybe we can see it a little bit differently than we've ever seen it before. Again, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. See, the first point that I want to speak about in this particular verse is that Paul is talking about there is an inward life for each of us to live. It's a life of faith. This is Paul's conception of the Christian life as it might and should be in one aspect. You notice that there is not a word in it about conduct. Look at that scripture really closely. He doesn't talk about conduct in it. He doesn't talk about doing certain acts because it goes far deeper than action. It deals with the springs of action in the individual spiritual life. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to all take a spiritual knife, cut ourselves open, and now look inside. Just look inside for a moment. See, in these days when all around us we see a shadow conception of Christianity, as if it were concerned principally with conduct and men's relations with one another. You see, it is for us to remember that while do do, do is important. Be, be, be is the primary commandment. See, he's telling us in this scripture to be hopeful, be filled. Allow God to come in. Allow him to be your dwelling place. 
Be joyful. Be peaceful. Be believing. We believe. We hold on. We trust. And he goes on to say, is that you may. See, when we allow these things to be an inward part of who we are, that we allow joy to be who we are, it leads us into greater hope. We allow peace to be who we are. It leads us into more and more hope. So he speaks to our hearts about having that inward faith, that inward trust. Allow these to be that internal part of you. The second point that he talks to, he uses the word believing. See, that word believing means to exercise trust. And so in order for us to be filled with the Spirit of God, for that filling to occur, we have to exercise trust. We have to allow God to come in. We have to allow his truth to be higher than our truth, that we trust his way and not our way. See, notice man's faith and God's filling are connected. As our faith and trust grows in him, God's filling grows in us. And the foundation, and it is the foundation of everything. See, look what he says there. The God of hope fill you. And then he went down to the list what he's going to fill you with in believing. That this is how we believe. I mean, this is how we obtain those things is in believing. Now, you notice that Paul does not tell us what or whom we are to believe in or on. He takes that for granted. And his thought is fastened for the moment, not on the object but on the act of faith. Not on the object, but on the act. So now it moves us to action. And he wishes to drive home to us this, that the attitude of trust is the necessary condition of God being able to fill a man's soul. See, as we trust God more and more, he fills us more and more. As we put our trust in the things of this world, the less filling we have of God, of his peace, of his hope, of his Holy Spirit moving and dwelling in us. And it becomes our doing and not him doing it through us. See, if we expect and desire to have our souls filled with his hope, we cannot altogether shut God out of our spirit. See, we are spiritual beings at the moment we accept Christ. And God wants to come in and he wants to dwell in the midst of that spirit. And so we allow ourselves to open up to him to let the Lord tell us, to let him speak to us. Because see, we can go this entire life and never fully feel all of what God has for us. We can be a good person, we can be saved, we can live this life, but we can miss so much of what God has for us just based off of how willing we're willing to trust him. See, look at this. The Lord tells us through the book of Luke, the sixth chapter, the 35th verse. See, God's love and his Gracious giving is imparted to the unthankful and the evil. Luke 6, 35 says this, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. See, God is kind, and he's given to those that don't even know him. God still is kind and giving. And he's given to the unthankful. See, that's where we may fall in at times. We know him. We may not fully trust. We may not even be thankful at times. And he still gives to us. But that doesn't mean, like Paul was talking about in this verse, that we're experiencing full joy and peace and hope if we haven't let him fully come in. But the best, the highest, the truly divine gifts which he is yearning to give to us all cannot be given except there be consent 
You know, God's never going to push himself on us. He's a gracious God. And so, except there be consent, except there be trust, and a desire for him. A desire for him. Did we see that all through scripture? Moses desired to be in the presence of God. David used to dance out of his clothes. Daniel would not worship the king because he worshiped God and God alone. See, our desire should not be for any sports team or anything else but God and God alone. There must be man's faith before there can be God's filling. Faith brings the direct action of a giving God. There is no limit to God's action. Notice the joy and peace which comes from the direct action of the God of hope on the, on the believing soul. See, as we believe, that joy and that peace comes in. He that believes has found the short, sure road to joy and peace because his relations are set right with God. And so now we talked about a couple of things. I talked about having hope and that earnest desire and that hope that we have. There is an importance for it to be an inward relationship. They're not so much our actions. That'll come afterwards, but our inward relationship with him. And through that inward relationship, there's an overflowing of peace and joy. And so we ask the question, the days get long, life and busy, busy schedules keep going. And how do we maintain that? How do we keep that going? And so Paul talks about it in the back part of this verse. He says you, that it may abound. Have these things. Trust God. He'll give you peace and he'll give you hope. And as you have that peace and that hope, it continues to grow more and more peace and hope. And how you sustain it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not your own power. See, you heard one of my sons quote and talk about Paul. Paul said, the things that I want to do, I do not. The things that I don't want to do, it seems like that's what I keep doing. See, Paul was saying, I was trying to do it in my own accord. I was trying to do it in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own ways. But then I realized something. That this body that I live in, this body that I'm still, even though the Spirit of God has come on the inside of me, this body still wants to do evil. Would you agree? It still wants and desires and lusts after things of this world. And Paul went on to say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin, this body of death? See, we have a deliverer, and his name is Jesus. And he wants to deliver us. From everything this world tries to bind us with. And so God didn't stop just with sending Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, he said, I must go back to the Father. And if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. So I'm going to, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be your comforter, your guide. Will lead you into all spiritual truth. Will sit with you when you're going through some hard times and some tough times. Will be there to comfort you and remind you of what? says God, because you know the devil going to try to tell you everything else, but God says, stand on my promises. Stand on the truth. Say, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So Paul encourages us through the power of the Holy Ghost. See, there's a, there's a title, and you may have heard it before, that talks about hope springs eternal. See, hope springs up more and more from the experience of joy and peace. That we may abound in hope. What that word abound means is copiously supplied. 
It just keeps coming more and more. And that we are sustained in that hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own hope. But I said those words, hope springs eternal, to give you that warning. See, this phrase is from Alexander Pope. He wrote a poem called An Essay on Man. And see, they were trying to figure out God. And so many of them were looking at science and they were looking at theory and they were saying, well, man may just be just as smart as God is. That was the thought that crossed their mind. So Alexander Pope was writing this to give us the proper study of mankind. Here are two phrases from his poem. He says, know then thyself, presume not God to scan. In other words, don't examine God. Learn of him. It's not our duty to judge God. He he went on to say the proper study of mankind is man. In other words, he was saying If we want to study anything, we need to be examining ourselves. We need to be examining where we are in relationship to God. Where is our heart? See, Pope's thesis is that man has learned about nature and God's creation through science. Consequently, science has given man power. But having become intoxicated by this power, man has begun to think that he is imitating God. In response, Pope declares the species of man to be a fool. Pretty harsh words, huh? Pretty accurate too, right? In our own ability. Absent to knowledge and plagued by ignorance. These are not my words. This is what what they were writing about it. In spite of all the progress achieved through science, the world has just tried to gain all this worldly knowledge, improving our foolishness and our ignorance. Pope argues that, that humanity should make a study of itself and not debase the spiritual essence of the world with earthly science. Since the two are diametrically opposed to one another, man should presume not to scan God. Man should not put God on the examination table. Man should examine ourselves. Man should grow in the knowledge of him, trust in him, abound in hope of him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is our hope. Don't be deceived by this world's knowledge. Put your hope in God. He is our hope. Let him be your hope in every aspect of your life. Hold on to his unchanging hand. Let nothing separate you from his love. Because Jesus Christ came that we would have hope in this world and the world to come. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. He's worthy.